Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. To, welcome to the Church of God, Rocky Mount, those who may see this message later. I want to begin with a troubling statement found in the Bible, so troubling that it sort of makes you wonder what is God up to. And it almost contradicts the world's view of the gospel, yet it comes from the mouth of our Savior, Christ Jesus. In Matthew 22 and verse 14, he says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, the first part of this is encouraging. As I look at the world of Christianity and outside the world of Christianity, I believe, I really truly believe, that as the Bible says here, many are called. In other words, the invitation goes out to a lot of people. A lot of people. I got my invitation to the party. Of course, me, if I got an invitation to the, to the party in the mailbox, I would take it directly to the garage and throw it in the trash can. Because I don't like parties. Okay? I'm not, so, but I sometimes think that might be a good analogy as to, as to actually what happens. Uh, but few are chosen, meaning picked out, chosen by God to obtain salvation through Christ Jesus. Then on top of that, you add this scripture. It was a question that one of the disciples asked Christ, Luke 13 and verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? You ever thought what prompted that question? You know, Lord? I mean, I, you know, I know you're the Messiah. I know that's why you're here. But are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Luke 13 and verse 24, Strive to enter in into the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And the straight gate means narrow, difficult way. It's not an easy way, as we've just seen in the presentation. I mean, that the, the way, sanctification, is a process, and it's not an easy way. And he says, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Okay. Um, it sort of contradicts the world's view, though, of the gospel. You know, just a, such a simplistic approach of just, you know, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Now, if you accept Christ into your heart, just raise your hand. It sort of goes contrary to that. Now, I do believe, side note, that God has a plan to save the majority of mankind. If you were to ask me, how many people do you actually think are going to go to hell? I would tell you very few. Very few. God has a plan to save mankind that involves a couple of resurrections. And it involves the knowledge of the last great day. So that's what I think actually will happen. But that's another story for another time. But now, for right now, many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that true? Now, the answer may be that God is calling a lot of people. They may just be in the wrong church. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How do you know you're in the right church? How do you know you're in the right church? 
Many people have never been exposed to the audience of God's truth. And because of that, the election, the being chosen by God to obtain salvation through Christ, cannot take place right now because they've never really been exposed to the audience of God's truth. So it is my job to expose you to the audience of God's truth. Less people spend the rest of their lives playing church. So let's start that exposure. Truth bomb number one. Just because you like going to church doesn't mean a lot. <laughs> Does not make you a Christian. I see a lot of people that like, like to go to church. Tomorrow you can drive from church to church to church and see a whole pile of people that love to go to church. It's a strange thing, and I think Ansel can relate to this one. I never liked church. I just didn't like it. And uh, today it's a struggle. You know, I, I still struggle with preaching. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just, just but, but I, 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 I see a lot of people, I know a lot of people that love to go to church. Not, not knocking that, but I want to look at people that love to go to church, something Christ said. Matthew 7 and verse 22. He said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name have cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works. This is not a denial of the wonderful works they have done. They have done wonderful works. Soup kitchens for the poor, ministries, hospitals, many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. Which is basically lawlessness, lawlessness. Let me say that right. Matthew 7, verse 23, another translation. And then I will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me those working lawlessness. Now I'm talking about the possibility. How do you know you're in the right church? How can you be in a church, be a Christian, call yourself a Christian, and at the same time be working lawlessness? You know, I think of, okay, I understand we all fall short, okay, of sin. You know, I understand that. I understand that we have a Savior who sits at the right hand of God, a high priest, okay, to forgive us. But sometimes, let me just give you an example. I'm thinking about a guy that told me, who, who claims to be a Christian, who told me about, with a big smile on his face, about a one-night stand that he had. The next day, he was singing and praising God in church. And it was interesting that when this person told me this, there was no sense of shame, conviction of sin, no awareness of wrongdoing. Oh, I sort of wondered, why is this person telling me this? They knew I was a minister. <laughs> you have to wonder sometimes, why do people tell you the things they are telling you? Could be that maybe they're trying to justify something. Maybe they were looking for my response. I don't know. But it was a shocking event that happened to me. 
And so this says, and then I will say unto them, I never knew you, depart from me those who work lawlessness. How do we, how do people get like this? How do we sometimes get like this? How can a church be filled with people like this? No conviction of sin. We do know that there are people that, who lack conviction of sin. If you held a gun to their head and said, tell me the definition of sin, they probably couldn't tell you. 1 John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of God's law. That's a revelation in and of itself, believe me. If you know that, God bless you. You are blessed by God. If you know the breaking of God's law, uh, the Ten Commandments is sin. Now, when I consider this dilemma, I used to blame the church. It's not the church's fault that you have people like that who are workers of lawlessness. I used to blame the church, but it's not their fault. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Boy, what a verse. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children, children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The imagery that I'm getting is parents that teach from sun up to sun down. When they go to bed at night, when they wake up in the morning, prayers, direction, correction, instructions from the parents. <clears throat> so, okay. I'm going to go through a list of questions in one area. Just one area. Mothers, okay, what did you teach your daughters about sex? Saving sex for marriage. How to identify and find the right man. How to make a man respect you. And what is respect? How do you know when a man is respecting you? What did you teach your daughters about lust? Okay. Fathers, what did you teach your sons about sex? How to respect a woman. How to identify a loose woman. You know, and, and often, you know, a, a loose woman can be just a woman that can't say no because of fear of rejection. You know, if I say no, I won't be able to find anybody that loves me. And that has a lot to do with self-image and how you see yourself. And so, what did you teach your sons about saving sex for marriage? Lust. The evils of pornography. What did you teach your sons? Not taking advantage of women. Now, again, I'm only dealing with, I've just touched on one area where we are told, I want you to command your children when they get up, when they get down, when you lie down, when you wake up, you know, sexuality. We deal, I'm just dealing with one area right now. And these words which I command you, this day shall be in your heart. You see, as parents, you can't give away what you don't have. <laughs> you can't teach your children what you don't know yourself. What you do, someone said it like, th like this. What you don't know, you don't know that you don't know it. 
<laughs> no one comes up and awakens us and says, hey, do you know it's something you don't know? And it's something you're doing wrong and it's something you're not teaching your children or whatever. No, no one tells us that. I think this is why the church, in most cases, a lot of churches, often you look at them and you think, well, they're no different than the world. Worldly churches. Churches are full of people who lack conviction of sin. And it's not really the church's fault. Yes, there is a teaching out there, I will make this correction, that makes the law of God, which defines what is sin, unimportant. There is a teaching out there that you find in church. You've heard it before. Law's been abolished. You know, faith plus nothing. Works of the law. The law's been nailed to the cross. Uh, well, it makes you think keeping the law would be works. And so I better not keep that law because I might be, you know. <laughs> it's, it's sort of the, the idea that you can get from church. These people don't understand the role of the law. The law cannot save you. The law simply defines what is sin. What is it that I am doing that sent my Savior to the cross to die for me? That's all the law does. That's the, that's the role of the law. Very simplistic. It was never given to justify you or to make you right. It's a, it's a revelatory. The law is revelatory. What, 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 what is sin? Okay. I think many ministers are dealing with the cold, hard reality that their congregation is no different than the world. They're more worldly than they are godly. Because the congregation you're talking to, their parents did not teach them the law of God. They failed to train up a child in the way he should go. Now, I'm not saying we blame our parents. I'll touch on that in a little bit. But you see, the responsibility to teach our children God's law was never given to the church. It was given to the parents. And we overlooked that. We overlooked that. Now, I want to say something about parenting. In our, you know, I felt like as a parent, at least as, as a father, I, I did a pretty good job at, 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 or we did, or, okay, I'm just talking about, okay, together, okay, it took two of us to do this, okay, but, <laughs> but my role as a father is what I'm speaking of right now. I, I, I'm pretty satisfied with the role of a father in rearing our daughter. I was never, as a daughter, she was not perfect. She made mistakes. But I was never, I have never been or showed or expressed that I was disappointed in her. Never. Again, she was not perfect. She made mistakes. But I was never disappointed with her. Why? Because she was our child. There was only one time I came close to be, being, you know, and it was, you know, I was angry and, and thank God Teresa corrected me before I, I did anything. It was at the feast. She was lollygagging around, out too late, and I. I but but she, Teresa corrected me, and I didn't. So I don't. I don't have many regrets right there, as, a, as far as a rearing, uh, in rearing our daughter. Thank God. Uh, you know, if you as a parent are disappointed with your children, that says a lot about you as a parent. <laughs> And if you feel God is disappointed with you, what does that say about God? What sort of places limits on God? I don't think God is, I think, yeah, I think we make mistakes, 
we sin, we fall short, but God is never disappointed with us. Why? Because, he's our, because we're his children. Someone said a person can disobey God, either willfully or knowingly, unknowing, unknowingly. A person can sin or rebel against God and reap the consequence, God's consequences for that sin as a means of chastisement. But a person cannot disappoint God. It's because you are his child. It's called unconditional love. I am proud that you are my child. That's what God says to you. And I want to mention this. Um, I lost it. <laughs> And I know what I did. I got my, I got my, my slides in backwards. I got one in front of the other here. Oh, boy. Okay. Husbands, wives. When's the last time you told each other, I am proud that you are my wife. I am proud that you are my husband. You should, you know. You know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, grass is greener on the other side. You know. Just consider, you know, when you think that, no, the grass is not greener on the other What's on the other side is quicksand. <laughs> Be grateful for the goofball you, you, you didn't marry. Okay, that's what you need to do. <laughs> All right, getting out of, okay, truth bomb number two, truth bomb number two. You may be in the wrong church if God's not real and there's no real fear of God in the church. Now, why is sometimes God not real to us? I've struggled with this many times, many years. Why is God not more real? Why don't I have a greater fear of God? That would keep me from doing something stupid. Okay? I've struggled with this from time to time. Because I know the scripture. Proverbs 5 and verse 21. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his goings. It's not as if God is up there blind to everything. He sees it all. Proverbs 15 and verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good. And then we have 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now, I know those scriptures, but sometimes I wonder, you know, why is it that a, that a church or people don't have more of a fear of God? And, and, and you know, you, you think about, I once read statistics about uh, looking at porn. It was like 50% of the ministry have admitted to looking at, to, to having some type of porn issue. Okay? How, how is that? You know, that, okay, God is right there with his hand on your shoulder and you're doing something that you know is wrong. I mean, we could, we could talk about all kinds of different issues. Stealing from the office. 
Uh, people taking God's name in vain who call themselves Christians. You work a construction site, you know what I'm talking about. I've always wondered, why doesn't a bolt of lightning come down and just evaporate them? You know, I mean, that's what I would do if I were God. You know, but, yeah, but, but a lot of these people call themselves Christians. You know? um, but I think maybe you're in the wrong church when God is not real. A lot of people would say, well, I just feel, I'm in a church and I just feel, and there's the word, the presence of God, the music, the entertainment. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how you live your life. I think that's a little bit more important than the music and the entertainment. <laughs> Are you a person of honor? A person of honor accepts full responsibility for his or her actions. You ever heard the stories of soldiers who have dove on a live hand grenade to save other people? That's honor. That's responsibility. That's powerful. That's, that's, that's love. That's, I, I don't have words for that. I mean, that, that, that's powerful. Now, I'm going to go down a road that's a little bit, because, because I haven't heard it much. And, I, and it, it's helped me, what I'm about to say, has helped me have a little bit more fear of God. Um, it's helped me, you know, like I said, in this area of God being more real to me. Okay. But it may sound strange because most Christians don't look. Most Christians, when they, they think about sin or making a mistake, they think about, okay, God's grace. And, and you should. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what God's forgiveness, God's mercy. And that's a good thing. But, but do we ever allow our minds to go in that other direction of, like, the wages of sin is death? You know, now I know this may sound weird, but I think weirdly sometimes. <laughs> this is something you do in your mind's eye before you fall into sin. Okay? I know the wages of sin is death. And I'm, I'm sort of thinking, I'm imagining, okay, you give God the destroying weapon. God, if I commit this sin that I'm contemplating, I will honor, I with honor will accept full responsibility for my sin. And you hand God the destroying weapon and you say, take my life. I deserve to die. Now, I say this is something you do in your mind's eye because we know the grace of God covers our sins. But I'm just asking the question, do we take it seriously enough that the wages of sin is death, that I do deserve to die because of this thing I have allowed myself to do? It's, it's, it's sort of, I mean, to me, I, this is one of the ways God can, can become real in your life, how you can have the fear of God in your life. By understanding, every time we sin, we crucify Jesus afresh. Okay, that's important to understand. Yes, I'm not, you know, we need to, you know, we need to understand the grace of God, the, the mercy of God, forgiveness. I understand all of that, but sometimes we, we focus 
way too much on that one issue and we don't realize, okay, wait a minute. I need to get serious about these issues. Wages of sin is death. Truth bomb, bomb number three. You may be in the wrong church if you don't understand what God expects from you. And what God expects from us is only by, comes only by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, Romans 8 and verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify, and that means put to death, the deeds of the body, you shall live. So I am to take this Spirit that I have, and I am to put to death the deeds of the body. The deeds of the body. Every, again, every time we sin, we crucify Jesus afresh. We understand that. Now I want to go in the area of compassion and grace now. Because I know that was sort of harsh hitting. Handing God the destroying weapon and saying, I'm guilty. I deserve to die. I take my life. That's sort of powerful. Actually, I got that from a Stargate movie that I, 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 I really want to play here, but um, I'll go over with you another time. But anyway, because, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, every time I watch it, it's just, it's a powerful message about becoming a new man, becoming a new woman. Powerful message. Blow your mind. Every time I watch it, I cry. And I didn't think I was that emotional of a person, but... Something's happened to me, I guess. <laughs> All right, I want you to imagine Jesus, Jesus Christ saying to you, you are not the same man or woman you used to be. You are not the same man or woman you used to be. You are not the sinner you used to be. And so often we say, no, no, but I am the sinner I used to be. <laughs> we, we don't realize, you see, how many times have we felt God is disappointed with me? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. And I want you to imagine God saying, look, you are not the person you used to be. That man is dead. For you have killed him. Through the power of my grace and spirit, you have killed him. You have put to death the deeds of the body. The problem is we're not satisfied with the progress often that we're making. Again, it is a progress, a process that, that we're making. And we're, often we're not satisfied that with the pro progress that we're making. We want it to be much more quicker. So maybe you're in the right church. I'm going to go through these three points. If you realize there's more to being a Christian than just going to church, you must have a conviction of sin. And much of that lack of conviction is because of the failure to be trained up by our parents in the way that we should go. Again, that's not to blame our parents. It's just to acknowledge that you can't give away something that you don't have. And often in child rearing, that is the problem. They couldn't give you something that they didn't have. You're in the right church if, if God is real and you truly fear God. You're in the right church if you understand what God expects from you. And, and that's only by the Spirit of God that that can be accomplished. So I want to get closing. I'm going to give you the biblical definition of the real church. 
Hebrews 12 and verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Again, that is a process that is going on in our lives day in and day out. To the spirits of just men made perfect. And until we get there, that perfection, understand you cannot disappoint God because you are his child, because of his unconditional love for you. And God says of all of us, I am proud that you are my child. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.